Welcome to the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your innocuous hosts, Arjuna, the mild-mannered, the sweet of voice, the ever-innocent. The other co-host is none of those things. His name is Kovat Go Blue. He preys upon the weak souls of people on the ladder, especially those playing monocolored decks. How are you today? I love that the new theme of the podcast is you try to like set up some kind of a whack intro so I don't even know. I don't even know we're doing the intro, but we are. And then the podcast is going and I don't even know what's happening, but that's great. That's awesome. It makes it <laughs> Did you know you could find us on Spotify and various other podcast places, but you probably already know that if you're listening to us. <laughs> Here we go. Now CGV does the end at the beginning. <laughs> This is all Valky vibe. Yeah. Yeah. We're like an old married couple now. Let's just admit it. I guess so. A little bicker here. A little bit of absolute routine that we're falling into. You got to keep it fresh, man. If there's one thing I've learned about making content, you got to keep it fresh. So true. It's just, it's like marriage or like dairy. You know, you got to keep that fresh too if you want to enjoy it. Like metas, like Magic the Gathering. Indeed which is a topic that we occasionally discuss on our podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about week two of the Streets of New Capanna metagame, which is probably what you're all here for. We're also going to talk a little bit... We're, we're, I'm going to use the A word. You ready for this, CGP? Are you ready for our ratings to just like... We're going to lose like 20% of our viewers right after I say this. Dip. <laughs> 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 yes, it is that dirty word, alchemy. We're going to be talking about the alchemy rebalancing that they just did as well. I knew that this happened, but I didn't even bother to read it. Alchemy is just already dead to me, dude. Oh, well, see, when you talk about it this way, they're going to love it. Like, they're here for it. You just raised the watch slash listen time because now they're, they're totally in for you just like eye rolling as I read these changes and talking about how it's dead to you. You know what? I took him in, I trained him up, he turned his back on me, and now he's dead to me. <laughs> That's alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> That's alchemy in a nutshell. That is definitely alchemy. <laughs> so, uh, take us into this, CGB. What is happening in the wide, wild world of the alchemy format? Well, they announced some rebalances. I mean, the shortest turnaround in the history of alchemy rebalances. On May 4th, they released an article. On May 5th, they launched the update with the rebalances. So, absolute... Minimal hype, yeah, even possible, like just none. That tells you where they're at, how they're feeling about the alchemy rebalances these days. And keep in mind, they have a whole set coming this summer that they have announced going direct to alchemy from Commander Legends Boulders Gate. So, yeah, 300 some cards, 300 like some that? cards direct to alchemy. They made this bed and they're gonna sleep in it. But man, it's weird that they are giving it about as bad treatment as the community does sometimes. Anyway, are you ready to hear about the alchemy rebalancing changes from May 5th to 2022? Lay them on us, Kovaco Blue. I will give it this. I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing, actually. There's no attempt to get warriors over. There's no attempt to make elves better. Like, they didn't, like, pick a tribe or mechanic and push it. Surprise. Kel surprise, CGB. Do you mean to tell me? That in their digital-only format, they're actually just making cards that might actually affect the magic game? Is this where we are? Maybe. Looking at these cards, that, that is possible. I'm going to start from the top, and I, I appreciate that this article did put the bangers up front. 
we get right in there. City Stalker Connoisseur, do you remember what this card does? Uh, vaguely. I remember it hits the battlefield. You have to discard something. You feel bad about it, and then your opponent copies it, right? Oh, I'm going to love this. We're going to turn this into the Arjuna quiz to get back at you for last week. You're going to have to tell me what these cards did. <laughs> I was looking at it, but I didn't quite read it all the way. So let me see if I can remember what it did. Uh, three and a black. Three, three, death touch. When it ETBs, opponent discards a card with the highest mana value among cards they have in their hand. All of that is correct. You left out create a blood token. Oh, the blood token. Of course. Because why wouldn't we? This card has been, I guess you could say, nerfed. And the nerfing is that they added the word non-land card to the discard effect. We. It's so much better now. <laughs> they specifically said they didn't want it hitting channel lands. Okay, cool. <laughs> I can't believe it. Our format just feels so much safer now with City Soccer Connoisseur just completely nerfed. No longer a four mana land destruction effect when your hand is nothing but lands. It's nice that you just get to sit on your all land hand against your, the City Stalker Connoisseur in these situations. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, you're totally going to win the game now. All right, next one. Try to remember what this card does. Painful Bond. Painful Bond. All right, it's either the card draw spell or the reanimator spell. It's not the reanimator spell. Okay, so in that case, it's one on a black instant. Draw two cards. Cards with mana value three or greater in your hand deal you a damage or you lose a life when you cast them. They perpetually gain when you cast this spell, you lose one life. Okay. Yes. So this card has been nerfed. The nerf text now is instead of mana value three or greater, it has been changed to three or less. Good change. Very good change. Yep. Cheap cards That's making solid. you pay life is a lot more meaningful in basically every format everywhere. Yep, especially since this card was best in decks full of cheap cards anyway. And, you know, I guess the change perhaps incentivizes you to put it in slower decks, which eh, is fine. More slow decks in the format. Okay, how slow can your deck be? Like, if you think of even the mana curve of the slowest deck... You're not going to put many cards in there that don't cost two or three. The fact that it hits three is a big one. I guess it makes this card like worse in a control deck, right? Where you could have cards like Deluge or Sweepers or stuff like that in your hand. Control decks really don't want to be losing more life when they cast expensive spells like that. Yeah, overall, I mean, seems like a pretty sweet change to me. I think it's a good change. The last update, the black cards were so good. I didn't want to play with anything anymore. It just felt like cheating. Quite honestly, to play the black cards. Hey, Arjuna. Yeah. Omnath. 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 What do you remember of rebalanced Omnath? All right. Let me see if I remember rebalanced Omnath. They added a generic mana to the mana cost. Yes. They took away the draw card. Yes. Was that it? They replaced it, the draw card with something. Was it some like Scrywan or whatever? <laughs> It was a scry one. <laughs> do I know wizards or do I know wizards? Yeah, five mana, four, four, scry one, landfall text, Omnath. Of course it's scryed. A shell of its former elemental jelly, jello mold, monstrous self. It was really quite the nerf, for sure. <laughs> well, he's back! Omnath is back. So let me guess, they just, uh, they changed it back to drawing a card. Yeah, you got that. That's right. 
Yeah, they changed the scry one to draw a card. Yeah, it still costs five. Got him. Got him. It turns out that Omnath costing five is a lot worse than Omnath costing four. Pretty bizarre. Adding one to the mana cost might have balanced it. I don't know. Playing with Omnath, which I did a little bit yesterday. I had a short stream before heading to see Doctor Strange. So uh, it was a short stream, but I was enjoying my time recasting Omnath. It definitely felt like a powerful card where I could play it. Four colors. Not, not that easy. No? Even with the Triumphs? Not quite a gimme. See, the thing with the Triumphs is what I really wanted to try with Omnath were the... Um, try fetch lands the ones that gain a life sacrifice search for a basic it was just really hard to get all the basics in the deck it's hard to get enough basics to make that work so that might just be a bad idea but without fable passage you're really missing something you know that's true oh what a beautiful land that was messed up that's what that land was <laughs> yeah and they always had it too that was the annoying thing they always freaking had it. yeah like a boss easy so, Omnath is a little bit back, which is fun, because if you crafted Omnath in the past, you can do stuff with Omnath again. I think Omnath Alchemy in this form might have a part to play. I'm not sure exactly what, but you picture, like, a Naya mid-range deck that splashes blue, or a Teamer mid-range deck that splashes white to get some Omnath action, and instead of being an all-in landfall Omnath abuser deck, it just has kind of a value vibe. Uh, from the card? I mean, it's a powerful card. There's no doubt about it. All right. This next one, you're going to get this one. You've got this. Settle the Wilds. Oh, yes. My favorite alchemy card ever. So they changed it? They did. Okay, they must have buffed it. What? Was it not broken? (laughs) Go on. (laughs) What what did they buff it to? Ooh. Um, Maybe you can figure that out. First, tell us the card. Come on. I'm, I'm still checking you. I'm not letting you off easy. (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right. So it's a sorcery, one green, green. Let me see if I can get the wording right, though. Conjure. Seek. A basic land. Seek a basic land. Seek. Okay, so that means it, it just finds a random basic land from your deck and puts it onto the battlefield tapped. And then it counts the number of lands you have, and it finds a random card on your deck with that mana value and puts it into your hand. A permanent card. Oh, that's right. Yep. Okay. Permanent card. Yep. You're like 90% all over it. So, I mean, do you want to take a guess at what they buffed it to? I mean, one buff I would make is that you get to choose the basic. That would be a buff. It wouldn't, I don't think it would make it competitive, but I mean, it would be a star, right? That would be nice. Yeah, it would be a start. Like, I can't see them making the card that much better without making it really busted. So maybe they changed the mana cost, but they couldn't make it one on a green because that would be insanely busted. True. So is it just two in a green? It is. All right, we got the. You got there. Woo! Good job. Do I know how to design magic cards or what? You know how to manage alchemy. Indeed, I guess so. <laughs> so two in a green. They decided that the high deck building cost to include mana values four or greater already didn't mean that they needed double green requirement in the casting cost. I'm like, okay. By making it easier to cast, they hope they will find more decks. Here's what I found was frustrating with this. It, this card made me angry. It's such a trap because they made it easier to cast. So I'm like, oh, I'll play it in my Omnath deck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll put it in the Omnath deck. I would never get the right color. Never. It was 
oh, I was always missing a color. And I know that the odds, you know, you can say, well, your chances are like one in four to get the right color anyway. But I mean, the fact that I never... <laughs> Not one time hit the color I needed. I had like my only four drop was Showdown. My only five drop was Omnath. So I'm using Settle to always get one of my key cards. And then I'm never casting it because I'm always getting my third forest. You know? It oh. Oh, oh, oh tilt is such a tilt, dude. It's so bad. <laughs> I was always playing it in the three color decks, and the odds were like good enough and the mana was good enough that I very rarely got punished by it. But I could see throwing in that fourth color and needing like all of them at once. Cause I think that was the thing, right? I was only playing a deck that would maybe it would need like two white or two blue or two green or whatever. It's not that big of a deal, but just reliably having them all. Yeah, that sounds nasty. I say it's a trap because they took the second green off it. So you, it doesn't look like it's hard to cast. But if you're playing four colors, you're just never going to get the right color. So you may as well not play it. <laughs> this card, I still think it's not good enough. It's really close. I'm trying to think about how we change it to make it better because it really is a cool card and it could be very powerful. In the right games and in the right matchups, I found it to be an incredible ramp card. No, dude, choose a land. If you chose the land, it would be awesome. Yeah, it would be better, but I don't know. Yeah, undecided. So additional changes. I'm basically just curious if you even know what any of these cards do. All right, ready? All right, I'm ready for the quiz. Let's go. Semblance Scanner. <laughs> I've never heard of this card in my life. <laughs> Wait, it's like a 1-1 one, one, three-cost artifact that has like some kind of token effect when it enters the battlefield? Nope, you, you can just pass if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lay it All on. Right. What is it? Semblance Scanner was a 3-1 for two and a blue rare artifact creature equipment shapeshifter. And whenever Semblance Scanner or equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, if it's not a token, conjure a duplicate of it into your hand. Reconfigure one. Oh, uh, okay. It was one of the stupid raz from like the... Yeah. They made it from a 3-1 right. into a 3-2. Let's test your knowledge of this white creature. Captain Eberhardt. Oh. Double striker? Yes. Two two double strike? One and a white, if you mean mana cost. No, no, I was trying to remember the stats. Okay. Okay. Well if it was one and a white, it wouldn't be a so it'd be a one one yep. double striker. Yep. Is it the first card you draw each turn is cheaper? Yes. And the first card your opponent draws each turn costs one more yes good job okay all right this is now no longer a one one it is a one two <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially on a double strike like that just doesn't matter at all <laughs> i guess it doesn't get killed by the shambling ghast anymore yeah and uh, spike field hazard in in fact you might notice a theme among the cards that we're going to I, name here i guess i am noticing a theme uh, okay marginally better against uh Obnixilis, so uh okay all right all right veteran ghoul caller Oh god, veteran ghoul caller. Yeah, I got I got nothing. One in a black for a 2-1 menace human rogue at rare. Whenever a card in your graveyard is put into your hand, conjure a duplicate of that card into your hand. It's now it's now a, it's a 2-2 two -two now. Oh, it's a 2-2. Two -two. You catching the theme? We like big butts and we cannot lie. 
<laughs> we, we like a little more butt. All right. <laughs> yeah. Moderate butts. Next card. Artillery enthusiast. Oh, God. It's probably some stupid, like, red goblin or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is correct. I don't know beyond that. <laughs> All right. It's a red for a 1-1 goblin artificer. Modified creatures you control have menace when... Artillery enthusiast enters the battlefield. You may discard a card. If you do, seek a card with a mana value equal to the card's mana value. This went from a 1-1 to a 1-2. All right. Yay. Yay. Oh, boy. Okay, we're done with the make the butt from 1 to a 2 section of our podcast. Now, let's see if you know what Garrick Wrath of the Wilds does. Oh, God. I surely don't. I think it's, uh, let's see, it's... 2GG, right? 4 mana, Planeswalker. What, does it come in with like 3 starting loyalty? It used to. <laughs> oh. I gave it away. <laughs> Alright, and then, let's see, you could like minus 1 to conjure from its spellbook? Yes. And I don't, I don't remember any. I'm not reading the rest of it, it has 4 loyalty now. <laughs> okay, it has 4 loyalty, alright. Sweet. Random, probably unplayable Planeswalker gets more loyalty. Geist of regret let me guess this is a blue mythic that you regret crafting yes yes <laughs> we got you got there good job <laughs> it's in the name it's all in the name it really is this is a five mana for it was a four five now it's a five five it's a flying spirit and when it the battlefield put a random instant from your library into the graveyard and a random sorcery from your library into the graveyard whenever you cast an instant or sorcery from your graveyard copy it I feel like there are better five-drop blue creatures to play in this format. I just have a feeling. Didn't they print this dragon that was pretty good? Whatever. <laughs> Lear? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for starters. All right, do you know what Experimental Pilot does? It's like some cheap white thing that crews. Nope. All right. Blue. I'm off it. Oh, it's blue. <laughs> I should have known because that experimental in there. Yeah, yeah. It's all in the name. So this is one in a blue for what was a 1-1. One, one, is now a 1-2. We're back to buffing butts again. It has Ward 2. And for a blue, you can discard two cards to draft a card from Experimental Pilot Spellbook. It drafts a bunch of vehicles. Discard two cards? Yeah. Wow. So essentially, like, tap one blue if you've already lost make yourself feel a little better about losing <laughs> is that what this card says i guess i don't know man let's just stop and appreciate did wizards really think that the reason none of these cards were getting played is that they all had one toughness i mean okay look sure go ahead and buff the toughness that's great that's great no problem right but like let's also just look at the cards you what you don't want to craft these now I'm, I'm not rushing out. They might be better next month. Get out and in on the ground floor to the moon. Maybe Experimental Pilot like randomly wins the next set championship, but I ain't crafting it. For you gigabrains who already crafted these, this is just extra value. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, you're not getting your wild cards back. I promise you that. All right. Do you know what Tireless Angler does? Oh, God. It's another blue creature. We only got and... two more. It's, we're almost there. All right, it's another blue creature. I think he hates this game, guys. I think he really hates this game. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is? what are these cards, dude? All right, Tyler's Angler. I, I got nothing, I got nothing. Wait, does it flip into a fish or some shit? 
No. No. Okay, so Tireless Angler is a callback to Tireless Tracker. It is two and a blue for what was a 1-4 is now a 2-4 human rogue. And whenever an island or swamp enters a battlefield under your control, draft a card from the spellbook. Actually, that sounds at least potentially gas. I like this card. Yeah. I, I had fun playing this card. I can get down with this. I mean, depending on what's in the spell book, but like regardless. It's all stupid sea creatures. It's crabs. It's krakens. Yeah, it's fish. It's like overpriced nonsense. Oh, but it's great to beat people to death with overpriced like garbage draft stuff. It puts a lot of cardboard in the hand. There's no question about that. It does. You end up with a lot of really bad creatures in your hand. <laughs> All right, yeah, this card's sweet. I'm into it. Yeah, okay. So Swarm Saboteur is the last card. Some kind of black insect. No, it's actually not an insect. I think I'm getting the art confused with another art. I'm not looking at it. It's just coming up in my head. No, I don't know what this card does either. One in a black for what was a 2-1 and is now... A 2-2! Two, two. Oh, wow, you got it. Human ninja, ninjutsu one in a black death touch. Whenever swarm saboteur deals combat damage to a player, conjure a card named Virus Beetle into your hand. That's actually a pretty cool card as well. I'll, I'll give them that. You weren't as far off as it sounded. You had probably remembered the beetles coming out and thought it was an insect. Maybe. Yeah. Cool card. I'd probably give it a spin if I was in the mood for that. You ready to try some uh, buffed butts in alchemy? I think I'll stay home this time around. Advertising alchemy. Guys, get in here. Alchemy now with bigger butts. He, he ain't lying. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I saw this advertisement like going down the strip in Vegas one time. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> now with more butt. Okay. That, that's my segment. That's my alchemy torture Arjuna segment. All right, we, we tried to make it fun for you. What was a very underwhelming alchemy announcement overall? Well, I mean, on the real, was there any change made there that you think is really going to affect anything? I think Omnath could potentially see a little play in the manner that I spoke about. I think that's about it. I think the painful bond nerf actually is a good thing for the format. Painful bond, okay. Yeah, that's the one that really stands out to me is like, that's going to have an effect, for sure. The citywide connoisseur adjustment to not discarding non-land cards could matter in such a way that in the past, like you would be holding lands for the, what is the name? Under city plunder, which is the other black card that's kind of busted. And the opponent makes you discard them with the connoisseur, then plunders you anyway. So maybe there will be small effects that make black a little worse. It's a relevant change, but just not a big change. So, yay. I, I guess we'll see. I'm sure there will be an event that is alchemy in the future, and we will find out uh, if these changes meant anything. And in the meantime, those of you who don't play alchemy often but occasionally queue into the format, you won't be as surprised when you see that these cards now work differently than they did a few days ago. Indeed. All right. I think it's time for us to talk about Standard. You know what's interesting about Standard? Apart from the obvious, which is that Obnixilis is annoying and obvious, and a bunch of other ob beginning words as well, such as, oh, obnoxious, and uh, I, I can't think of another word, but anyway. It's not uplifting. <laughs> it's, it's not uplifting, indeed. Apart from that whole thing, I do find it interesting that it feels like the standard meta hasn't yet congealed around anything in particular. Like, there are a bunch of different Obnix list decks. A um, number of them look, you know, somewhat reasonable. 
playable. How you tackle it is kind of still up for debate. People have been trying various mono green lists and not just the kind of meme ramp one that I put out there. For people who actually enjoy digging into a meta game and trying things, there still is a fair amount of diversity going on, which I think is good considering the fact that there is one card that's really kind of like setting the tone for the meta game. Has that been your experience as well, CGB? It does appear that while people are kind of looking at Ob and saying, this isn't you know that great or oppressive, and the numbers for Ob showing up in the top eights of the events that have happened so far haven't been oppressive. Something that is really clear <laughs> is that everything is mid range now. Like every deck has to have a pretty strong creature element to it and have battlefield presence a good amount of the time. Like there's no like pure aggro making the top eights of these events. There's no control making the top eights of these events. Everything is a various degree of mid-range right now, which this was something people talked about, like the death of mid-range around the time Throne came out because games were super snowball-y and the card, the power level was so pushed. And they were like, we need mid-range back. When do we get mid-range back? Well, you got it. A lot of decks look like various piles that begin with Fable of the Mirror Breaker and throw in Isika's Chariot, and every card produces like three to four other cards during its life cycle. And yeah, it's it's a pretty bizarre format, and I can tell it's hard to get an edge. And I think part of that is just like, it's been the slow and steady rising of Planeswalkers becoming an important card type again in the meta game. And so we see even, for example, mono white decks are now running the Wandering Emperor, which is a card that, you know, who knows, it's a powerful card, so maybe it would have showed up in the previous list, but it might have been a little slow for something like, you know, decks that were trying to beat people just trying to copy Alrin's Epiphany. So people are definitely, like, they're building their decks a little chunkier. Yeah, like you said, the Wandering Emperor gives a deck like mono white a lot more staying power. So Orzov hasn't gotten any worse over time. I think pretty much any Orzov list these days is basically just like some super friends list backed up by sweepers and card advantage. If you're playing a card that costs four or more mana, you have a variety of creatures you could play. Some of them even have haste and have abilities, but they all kind of can just die to all kinds of things as soon as they hit the battlefield. If you play a Planeswalker and you play it well, you can get two to three pieces of digital cardboard out of your one card so that when it's removed, it's not the end of the world. I mean, if you play your Wandering Emperor when the opponent doesn't hold mana up, you can make a 2-2, untap, make another 2-2 before they deal with the Wandering Emperor. Lolf is another great example of just like three cards in one immediately. Uh, Soren is two cards in one that threatens to be a third. It's... Basically, the Planeswalkers are taking over that mid-range game plan. So in order to combat them, what do you have to do? You have to have your own creatures to attack them. That's one of the only reasonable ways to keep up with Planeswalkers. So every deck now has two drops. You mean it's not Questing Beast? I, we don't have Questing Beast. Oh, man. It would be a good Questing Beast meta, would it not? Oh, Questing Beast versus Lolf? Let's go. Oh, it sure would. Sad times. So I actually made a tweet, was just like after some rumination on the format. So I made this tweet a couple days ago. There are five playable Planeswalkers in Standard at the moment. Obnixilis, Lolf, Sorin, Kaito, and Wandering Emperor. What do four of those have in common? CGV, I'll turn that question over to you. 
What do four of those planeswalkers have notably in common? I'll read them again. Obnixilis, Lolth, Sorin, Kaito, and the Wandering Emperor. Oh, only four of them have this in common? Yes. I was going to say they make tokens, but that's all of them. Um, all of them do. Mm-hmm. So I guess technically four do too, but that's not what you're looking for. Four of them are black. Yes. So that was one of the points that I was making, is that like basically they've been putting all of the Planeswalker juice into the color black. I mean, this is a whole discussion that we could go into, but I think it's kind of a shame, you know, they've printed Planeswalkers such as um, Chandra wearing the flaming dress or whatever <laughs> whatever that name of that Planeswalker is. Dress to kill. Chandra dress to kill, right? I mean, okay, Renan 7 was, you know, a playable green Planeswalker, although it really didn't see much play at the top tables. I feel like there's a general dearth of, oh, blue Planeswalkers? I mean, apart from Kaito, people have actually been, like, splashing blue just to put Kaito in decks. No counter spells, no card draw spells, just Kaito. (laughs) Just Kaito, that's what I'm saying, right? It's a slap in the face of the great color blue. (laughs) I'm feeling like, okay, cool, like, sweet mid-range format, I guess, bro, but, like, where are the rest of our planeswalkers, you know? It's just, like, it's a little bit... I guess that's my biggest beef with it, is, like, what happened to the other colors? Yeah, you're right. I mean, Chandra Dressed to Kill lives in mono black land. <clears throat> Can't really do anything else. And, yeah, there is not, like, a blue planeswalker that has anywhere near that kind of effect. There's no Jace Architect of Thought type planeswalker, you know, lurking in this format. In white, um, but... White has Elspeth, and Elspeth doesn't go and just disappear in this meta. Lots of people are playing Elspeth, and that has been one of the cards that has overperformed quite a bit. I looked at that card originally and was not afraid of it. I learned that if they untap with Elspeth and a creature, I'm probably not going to win. If they play Elspeth plus it onto a creature, and that creature and Elspeth survive the turn, I'm a dead man. It is not good. That thing has too many abilities and vigilance and lifelink and maybe first strike. And now their Elspeth is threatening to make angels and I'm gonna die. Yeah, I mean, definitely a card like if left unchecked runs away with the game. Granted, most playable five mana planeswalkers basically have that text on them, right? Ren does not. Not without a chariot. Yeah, Ren can do her thing for a while and you can still end up losing the game somehow. I'm not really sure how, but it's happened to me enough that I know that it's possible. Okay, so let's talk about Elspeth because it's one of the most interesting new cards. Apparently it was showing up in a number of top eight lists uh, from this past weekend. Do you happen to have any of those lists handy? Yep, we got one right in front of me with four copies of Elspeth Resplendent. Nice. So... We're going to talk about and whammies, second place finish in the standard challenge uh, from May 1st, which is a pretty bizarre deck, but right there on the top line, you can see four Elspeth Resplendent. This is a green and white ramp. No, it's a mid-range deck, right? It's just some creaturey, planeswalkery Selesnia deck. Do we just read the list for the people? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So... You want to take it? Sure. There's three copies of the Wandering Emperor to go with the four Elspeth. Seven Planeswalkers in your green-white mid-range deck. Main deck. Main deck. Main Mm -hmm. deck. Fun. 
this is where kind of the juice for Elspeth, I think, lives. There are four Brutal Cathars, and there are four Skyclave Apparitions. There you go. We're going for it, yeah. There's also a Kazandu Mammoth. Just really doesn't want to whiff on that minus uh, three effect. This is going to get you three copies of Tovalar's Huntmaster. That's the, uh, well, that's the, the Green Grave Titan. Yeah, just make a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of permanents. Three of them. Instead of Titan of Industry, by the way, which I know it's a very expensive card, but it's only one more mana, so it makes you scratch your head. Yeah, you and I both know which way I would lean on that choice. That's for sure. What do you think of one copy of Werewolf Pack Leader? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting choice. That one stands out a little, doesn't it? Yeah, especially since, wait, like how many two drops are there in this list? Um, <laughs> I'm kind of struggling to find them. There are four copies of Rangers class yet to come, and that's it. Okay, so this is this is playing a five total of five two drops in the entire deck. Yes, I mean, cool story, bro. I mean, I guess we get there. <laughs> wow. Okay, three workshop war chief. This is the Thrag Tuskian Rhino Warrior. There are two copies of Yasharn, the Implacable Earth. There are two copies of Turn Timber Symbiosis, card that you've started running two copies of in your deck that we talked about last week. Four Asika's Chariot, big surprise. I mentioned the four Ranger class. Then there are 25 land. Nothing super notable here, except maybe the use of Spara's Headquarters, which is the Bant new tricolor land that can cycle. So using that instead of other options to make uh, green and white mana with a tapped land, like a gain land, for example. The sideboard has four Doomscar, so there's your two drop. There's also four portable holes, a Yasharn, three Cemetery Prowler, which is the Graveyard Exiling Werewolf, and three copies of Farewell. I wanted to get your ramblings, musings, uh, deep thoughts. What does it take for a deck like this to actually not only exist, but do well? A deck with five two-drops in the main deck and no board wipes and just what looks like a ton of mid-range soup. This is just like beef, right? This deck is just kind of like corned beef for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You could have worse curves than like playing a Brutal Cathar on three, playing an Asika's Chariot on four, and then playing like an Elspeth on five and minusing and hitting another Brutal Cathar or Skyclave Apparition. At that point, you are probably ahead against like most creature boards. So, you know, I can kind of see that. And I suppose if you're expecting your opponent to play a lot of board wipes or farewells or whatever, then, you know, having seven Planeswalkers main deck that can all either make creatures or fetch creatures is kind of sweet too. This is my thought, is if you're playing this list against Obnixilis, you're probably really relying on that Elspeth to be at some point giving some chonky creature lifelink to regain you the life that you're losing to get set up, right? Because this is my experience, is by the time Elspeth comes down when you're playing this list, especially on the draw, your life total is probably below 10. And you're probably kind of on, uh, what's the term? You're on, like, life support. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose you're really hoping to maybe, you know, yeah, maybe you give your Seeker's Chariot lifelink or your, your Sean or just whatever, right, to kind of try to get you back into that game. And I think once that happens, once you start gaining that life and attacking your opponent, widening your board and stuff, it's probably fine. But it just still, I don't know, maybe it's just like my... 
my magic instincts tingling or whatever, but this deck seems really slow to me. It does. I'm kind of amazed that there's even a white mid-range deck that doesn't play Luminarch Aspirant. Because I, I've been just musing that every deck should just, every white deck, even like the ones that lean towards like control or combo, maybe should just try to play that card. We're seeing it in all of the Esper mid-range decks now. It might be one of the most influential white two drops that Standard has ever had. Uh, to be honest, like at this point, we've just kind of figured it out. Getting that extra counter for free is amazing. But what we were talking about earlier about every single card being multiple pieces of digital cardboard, look at this deck. Look at the extra pieces of digital cardboard in this freaking deck. You have Ranger Classes two pieces minimum. Isika's Chariot is three. Tovalar's Huntmaster is three. Wandering Emperor is two or three. Elspeth is often two, you know, if you're minusing. Every Skyclave Apparition slash Brutal Cathar is basically two because you're taking something off the field. Workshop Warchief is often two. Yasharn is three. It's just... Yeah, it's pure piles of everything that I play is extra. So every card that you play that isn't is you falling behind. Every Luminarch Aspirate you play that is just one card taking care of itself and not replacing itself. This deck is trying to get a little ahead. And it can take as long as it needs to, apparently, because it doesn't need to be in a rush. Elspeth brings it back. The lifelink brings it back. And in general, the overwhelming amount of power on the battlefield brings it back. Workshop Warchief, by the way, also gains life. Elspeth isn't alone in that job. That's what I've learned. Like, if you're playing a deck that's, like, taking a bit longer to establish ostensibly more powerful board state than your opponent, you do need some way of gaining life in this metagame. Otherwise, you're just... Yeah, you're going to fall too far behind against, you know, Meat Hook Massacres and Obnixiluses and, you know, various other things that are all pinging away at your life. I remember that life was a meme. You know, in general, let's be honest, life is a meme. But I remember when life gain in Magic the Gathering was a bit of a meme. And then we started realizing that just tacking a little life gain on cards that were close to good anyway became super important because these cards started getting really fast, really aggressive. They all did a billion damage to you and drew a billion cards. <laughs> so now here we are. Life gain is just necessary in a lot of ways. So there's a couple of things that I like about this deck in particular. For example... I'm sure that there are plenty of times where you're going to pass the turn with your Brutal Cathars out and you let him flip. You hold up your Wandering Emperor. Uh, we've also got two Boseijus and two Iganjos, Seats of the Empire. So that's other stuff to do with your mana. So I think this deck is probably doesn't double spell that well, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> I don't think it ever does. <laughs> Maybe like... Uh, later in the game, you can do something like slam a three drop plus a ranger class or whatever. So I think that this deck makes pretty good use of those brutal cathars. And of course, yeah, being able to hit them off Elspeth with the indestructibility counter on them is just pure cash money. This deck's probably feasting on like some of the smaller aggro decks like Mono White, provided of course that you can actually like get a brutal cathar or an apparition down to take out Thalia, which is an absolute nightmare for this list. I can see this beating Obnixilis, and I can see it beating, like, smaller creature decks. Slower decks with a more powerful finish would probably go over the top of this, but I don't know. Maybe just, like, 
getting an Elspeth down and protecting it or whatever for a couple of turns is really enough. I can't imagine this deck wants to play against Leer and Goldspan Dragon. That is a Galvanic Iteration stuff because their big threats are just going to get flapped over and blown out by a ton of mana. But that deck so far has been pretty, it's chillin'. For a minute, when uh, Neon Dynasty came out, it won the first two challenges. That was Is It Control? And this time it's taking a break. It's, it's just over there chilling somewhere. And maybe that is Ob's doing. Ob is very frustrating for a deck that has trouble uh, getting on the battlefield and turning things sideways for three to five turns. Let's pivot here to talking about the deck list that actually won this particular event, because the more I looked at this list, the more interesting it became (laughs) to me. I don't know, for whatever reason, when I was just glancing over this, I thought it was like a mono-white aggro deck. And uh, oh boy, is it not. This is uh, by Terabad, who apparently defied their own name and took down the standard challenge. So let's read off this uh, Sean Spicer of a list. So we have uh, For the Wandering Emperor in the Planeswalker slot. No Elspeth main deck. Three creatures. We've got one Elite Spellbinder. Yeah, I know. Uh, spicy. One Legion Angel and one Sanctuary Warden. That, yes, is the 5-6 with a shield counter that does all the shenanigans. Now we have 13 sorceries. So, but wait, it's actually a control deck. One copy of Banishing Slash. Two Doom Scars. Four Amiria's Call. Three Farewells. Three Starnheim Unleashed, which is a statement. That, my friends, is a statement right there. Six instance, we've got two Fateful Absence, four March of Otherworldly Light, which is just shaping up to be an absolute staple card in this format. Uh, just totally redonculates on creature lands. We have seven artifacts, three portable holes, four Reckon of Bank Busters, and four Restorations of Iganjo, uh, followed with 23 lands, which is, I guess, with the Far Amiria's Call, makes enough lands. But there's some spice in the mana base. You're right. Three Caves of the Frost Dragons, four Crawling Barons, and four Field of Ruins. Wow. (laughs) This deck is never losing to a creature land ever, and it's presenting a lot of its own. Wow. This is a list, CGB. I mean, I'm getting this right. This is a mono-white, basically like controlling mid-range deck. Yeah, I guess you could call it control. It has five board wipes. It has seven, ten spot removals. This is as close to a control deck as I see in the challenges and, you know, across, like, the events I've looked at. Arjuna, like, I've played with this deck. I made a video with this deck, so I've got some experience. But I want to know from you, first read, first look, how do you beat Obnixilis? Um... uh... Flyers, blowing up the board, gaining life. Uh, blowing up the board? Doesn't deal with it at all. Doesn't get it. No. Nope. I mean, Farewell doesn't get it, that's for sure. I know how I beat Obnixilis, but this deck clearly has a different plan. Yeah, so the plan I learned from playing this deck on ladder is that there isn't really a plan. It just rolls right over to a pair of Obnixilis on turn three. It is really bad. Well, that's embarrassing then. How did it win this? I mean, maybe they just read the meta game and assumed people wouldn't be playing that card. I think that they 
remember how we said that the meta is kind of revolving around this guy, that everybody else is focusing on being on the battlefield and making sure that they can kind of face it down? I think that this deck just figured out that it didn't need to care that much. And it could focus on beating the other decks. Because what I posited while recording my video is, okay, I will take a negative win-loss against Ob if I beat everything else. Oh, I and I did. Okay. Oh, he did. <laughs> I was slapping all kinds of various aggro and rune decks all over the place. It was actually really fun. Can I tell you my favorite thing? Four Field of Ruin, four Restoration of Iganjo. I was straight up land destruction piling these three color mid-range decks running like one basic. It was not fair. <laughs> I was cutting people off of colors left, right, center. Hiya! These mid-range decks are not ready for land destruction on this level. Well, uh, you know, I'm glad you're having fun, CGB, because I feel like if your curve goes bankbuster into Restoration of Iganjo against an Obnixilus deck, you can basically just pack up your cards and take them home, right? You're going to be on a low life total, and this deck, you know how we were talking about life gain and you need that? Sneaky, this deck don't have it. It's got four Wandering Emperors, which the opponents can play around pretty well to keep that life gain from being a thing. I won a game against an Obnixilus gamer who got who had Obnixilus ready for turn three. How did I do it? I was on the play with the one elite Spellbinder, and I made him take till turn five. And the game still took about 15 turns with me using Wandering Emperor, exiling my own Sanctuary Warden, among other things, to gain the life needed to stay alive. You exiled your own creature? <laughs> my own Sanctuary Warden, my best creature. <laughs> oh my gosh. If that ain't a testament to the difficulty, what is? It was really hard, but I got one win against Obnixilus, and it was a roller coaster of a journey. I don't know. I figured maybe Starnheim Unleashed was enough, but I mean, that card is so slow, you know? There's a card called the Meat Hook Massacre that's in all these decks, and they usually have about six mana by the time you have enough to make a respectable amount of angels. It's, it's a yeah. problem. Yeah, it's good against Amiria's Call as well. Frankly, I'm absolutely shocked to see this at the top of the list. But, you know, they knew something the rest of the field didn't, I guess. Yeah, ignore Ob and beat everyone else, and it worked out for them. Yeah, uh, congratulations to Terabad. Jeez, let's see what else is going on here. Actually, this uh, third place deck list is also incredibly interesting and spicy. So, yeah, why don't you take us into this? So this is Esper, we're going to call it midrange. Esper midrange, quite honestly, we're seeing this all over the ladder, and we're seeing this, there's no like one list, I would say, that's taken off, but we're seeing all over the ladder this kind of move that's like a lot of cheap two and three cost creatures and a lot of planeswalkers. It's not really super friends because it has a bunch of two drops. It's not really control because it has like 15 creatures. Like this version has nine planeswalkers and 15 creatures in it. So it's just like this endless spam of good stuff. I'm going to read to you Bless Vaughn's third place list. One Elspeth Resplendent, two Kaito Shizuki, two Lalt the Spider Queen, one Soren the Mirthless, three Wandering Emperors. There's your nine planeswalkers. That turns out to be five of the six uh, playable planeswalkers in standard right now. <laughs> Yeah, missing a little Nixilis, but I mean, what did I tell you? Did I, did I call him or did I call him? I guess I left out Elspeth, but apart from that, chef's kiss. You were all over it, for sure. So, 
here come the critters. I, I'd be interested if people making a playable critters in standard would have all of these. But 15 creatures. Number one, Archon of Amiria. One copy. One Henrika Damnathi. One Legion Angel. Four Luminarch Aspirant. Three Rafine Scheming Seer, one Redain God of the Worthy, four Tenacious Underdog. I didn't expect to see that creature suite accompanied by that many Planeswalkers, honestly. It's interesting, right? But it is all it is all a lot of, you know, value. Um, Tenacious Underdog and Luminarch Aspirant in the two-drop spot can just straight put pressure on any board, starting from turn two, especially on the play. Rafine. Did we call it or did we call it? You definitely called it, yeah. I said that might be one of the best cards in the set, and we had only seen like 10 cards in the set. It's hard to kill. Yeah, it's living up to its reputation. I mean, the combination of getting a big butt really quick, I mean, it starts with a big butt. Uh, the butt gets big real quick, and the ward is just annoying enough. If you play Rafine on curve on the play, it is a problem. What we didn't take into account the just value you get if you just chuck stuff in the graveyard that's useful. I swear to God, Tenacious Underdog is a really good card and another potential top five in the set, but it's not that great to just cast a 3-2 on turn two. With this deck, it's the idea that you can chuck it in the graveyard, get that connive value, and bring it back later as a card advantage engine and a consistent source of pressure. So let me ask you that, though. I mean, this deck looks like it never runs out of things to do. How often are you really bringing back that tenacious underdog depends are you winning the game when you do it yeah suppose suppose so. the other great thing about the underdog sometimes you gotta go kill a planeswalker man that's true board wipes the traditional wipe the board protect my planeswalker plan doesn't hold up against haste tenacious underdog is basically a haste threat in a deck esper that never has haste threats no that's a really good point yeah tenacious d coming through for sure <laughs> very tenacious so i mean interesting creature suite for sure i'm not i still don't believe in henrika Dumbnath. this is a card i always end up cutting after one or two games because i'm like what is it doing here archon of amiria respecting runes pretty good call still a deck still an evil gross pig of a deck <laughs> I suppose Archon is decent against Obnixilis decks like after turn three or whatever, right? They usually play pretty cheap cards. Yeah, it does have other effects where it's good. Not to mention the amount of non-basic lands in the meta hasn't been this high in a long time. All right, sorceries. We've got a Doomscar and an Amiria's Call. Just one Doomscar. Why not? Spicy one of freaking Bodwipe. All right, let's go. Instant four Vanishing Verse. I don't know about you. When I stream and I have Vanishing Verse, people are like, oh, Vanishing Verse, not good against a multicolor set. Kek W, haha. I'm still like Vanishing Versing as much or more so than before. I, the underdog has to get exiled. The creature lands still have to die somehow. Yeah, not a bad card. Two Meat Hook Massacres and four Wedding Announcements in the Enchantment spot. Good old Wedding Announcement. That's another interesting one with the underdog, because sometimes you just want to get that card, so you bring back the underdog and you attack, so you get that trigger to draw another card instead of make another 1-1. One, one. I mean, I believe you. It sounds a little bit like a meme to me, but I believe you. <laughs> That's because you believe in casting big things. I believe in drawing more cards to cheaply kill the big things you cast. Fair enough, fair enough. So, I mean, this is like... Talk about mid-range soup. We have nine planeswalkers, 15 creatures, three board wipes, 
and like some, you know, random value enchantments. Dude, if I was playing against this on the ladder, I would spend the whole game being like, wait, they played what? How is that in this deck? They followed up a Lolth with a Luminarch Aspirant? Wait, they, they wiped the board? Wait, what? They played, um, let's see, Luminarch Aspirant on turn two. They played Rafine on turn three. They brought back a Tenacious Underdog on turn four. And they Meat Hook Massacred on turn five. You know? <laughs> it's like, okay. Cool story, bro. These are all powerful cards for sure. But, I mean, okay, so the cool thing about a deck like this is that it's probably not going to be truly a dog to any deck in the format. And there's always room to pivot. You can do interesting stuff like, okay, you've got to love this, right? I'm looking at the sideboard. One disdainful stroke in the sideboard. It's the only counter spell. <laughs> that, if that is not a gotcha, dude. Oh my gosh. They're going to feel bad about that one. Oh, wait, they even have an unlicensed hearse. Got to watch out for those graveyard decks. I forgot what that card even does. So it's a vehicle and tap exile up to two cards from graveyard. Yeah. Power and toughness equal a number of cards exiled with it. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, cards definitely playable in certain environments. So get those underdogs, get them, get them out. I, I will say like when I play ladder, I still run into all the time, the Esper decks that are going to memory deluge and Hallbreaker horror and run a bunch of different marches and like five different board wipes and a couple of planeswalkers. I run into these all the time. I think that this kind of Esper deck is so much better than that for the meta as it exists now. And I don't love telling you to play 15 creatures in your Esper deck, but that's definitely what this set was trying to accomplish. It's where the power lies. Look at the mana base. One basic swamp. Field of ruin, baby. Let's go. Line them up and knock them down. The true sadist comes out. Uh, what I was going to say is that, okay, crafties, you look at this deck, lot of mythics lot of res in the deck but these are all safe crafts apart from like henrika domnathi you can feel pretty confident about basically crafting any of these cards and like they're gonna be playable i'm also gonna say the numbers are low crafting ones and two ofs you just have a higher odds that you'll fit them into more places or use them in historic brawl or things like that but like you know this is a deck that it's just a pile of very very playable cards that you're probably going to be able to play for a long time in multiple formats so yeah like i would not be surprised if rafine shows up in like explorer as well it's a really powerful card i i mean okay i can't remember the last time i've been this surprised by a top three of a tournament cgp like this is wild it is and uh fourth kind of rounds it out if you want to do the fourth place deck yeah, I'm seeing an, a deck that's running Elspeth and Obnixilus in the same deck. You have my attention. So uh, why don't you take us into this deck? So Mick Winsauce took fourth place. This is Mardu giving up on the family. Bailing on the family. But this is a Mardu midrange. Mardu very, very midrangey deck. Eight Planeswalkers. Two of them are Elspeth Resplendent. Three of them are Obnixilus the Adversary. There's a Soren and two Wandering Emperor here. So kind of the flip side of Esper where they didn't play Ob, but they had Kaido. You just kind of flip the script upside down. They're not playing Lolth and they have Obnixilus instead. Interesting. It's, uh, it's a plan. Yeah, a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, they are playing Luminarch Aspirant and stuff like that, so I see it. Sneakily, there is another Planeswalker. There's one Valky God of Lies in the creature pile, if you want to get your Tybalt on. 
There's also one Legion Angel, which is, of course, four Legion Angel. Uh, once you count the sideboard, there's four Luminarch Aspirant. That- Actually, only three. Just want to fight that out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They made the cut. They made the cut. Wow, I couldn't do it. What's more important, man? What card's more important? Come on. Oh, they had to play the second Rip Apart? Okay, cool. Oh my god, it's Rip Apart! All right, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that works. There's one Skyclave Apparition, which, you know, it's kind of interesting to have one of when you have two Elspeth Resplendent. Like, can you imi- imagine the spot where you need to minus your Elspeth and hit Skyclave Apparition and there's only one in the whole deck? That's a real, like, drag your mouse around in a circle, do a little prayer, you know? When your name is McWinsauce, you hit every time, right? (laughs) Every time. Every time. There's three Tenacious Underdog, so that card is still showing up here, very much showing up. Then there's two Emiria's Calls and two Strangle. This is the new lightning bolt uh, that only hits creatures and planeswalkers at sorcery speed. The instant, same as the Esper deck, four Vanishing Verse, no other instant is worthy. The enchantment, there are two Meoak Massacres and four wedding announcements, just like Esper. But in red, you get Fable of the Mirror Breaker, another classic three cards in one saga that is just everywhere in these mid-range piles. Maybe it's because I've been playing a deck that's been pretty good against Fable of the Mirror Breaker. But like, are we really doing this? Like, is every deck running red just jamming four of them? Like, is it really that good in this deck? I mean, what's the better card you're going to run? (laughs) Anything else? (laughs) Anything else? Interesting. Okay. I would definitely jam, I don't know, I'd probably jam some more interaction, maybe throw in another Planeswalker, get a Lolth going up in there. I don't know. I just, like, I'm not feeling it. This is a card where I feel like, I feel like you really have to get every part of the buffalo to really like get value out of it and i just don't really know what we're doing with the the third mode in this deck i don't know that you need to get every part of the buffalo at all i i I think you just need a little bit from each like i don't need particular ramp payoff treasure synergy graveyard synergy or copy synergy like it just all of these things on their own are at least something happening every turn that just cost you the three mana investment one time let me ask you this you're playing against the average opponent on the ladder playing the average deck that you're playing whatever right your opponent goes for that turn three play and it's fable of the mirror breaker like you probably breathe a sigh of relief most of the time when that happens right it depends. I mean, I'm a control mage. It's not the scariest card against me. I know I'll have to deal with it, but giving me time, like, it's not very fast. I think in the context of, like, a mid-range meta, though, you have to remember that time is different. I, I can tell from this top eight, time is different. Mono White is not smorking face in this top eight, and nobody's building up to Holebreaker Horror either. Like, it's all this between the three and the five spot just nonsense right and who can make the best nonsense fable is kind of a good glue card for it i also guess like this deck really doesn't have that much actual card advantage in it it could kind of serve that role in the deck you just sandbag some lands later in the game and you get to pitch them to the fable i guess it's like it's really that wedding announcement and soren are like the only ways that you're really kind of 
getting up on cards. Uh, it is pretty bizarre that, you know, what we're copying here are just the occasional token <laughs> and some tenacious underdogs and aspirants. But I, what well, it does what it does. Here's, the thing is, you don't copy things that much when you play Fable. When you do and you copy something epic, like a titan of industry, you're king of the world. That's what I'm talking about. You're king of the world, but most of the time, the opponents respect it so much, they kill it. Every time, it seems like. The best use that I've seen for Fable of the Mirror Breaker is in, like, Jund lists, where people are copying the 2-2 token with the chariot. That's a big swing. I don't know. Apart from that, nah. I, I think we can dream bigger, but, that, if, you know, well, I'm willing to parlay for now. <laughs> the mana base has no basics at all. No basics. Field of Ruin, baby. Get them. Mono White Field of Ruin. Oh, love it. <laughs> All right. So uh, in fifth place, we have Soon Dubu. And uh, we knew that someone had to bring the, uh, the, the old tooth grinder to the challenge. So here it is. This deck starts with three gold spend dragons, two Hullbreaker horrors, everyone's favorite creature suite. However, also three copies in this list of Wandering Mind. I'll bet it's been a while since you've seen or played with this card, CGB. And I think the reason for it is this person subscribes to the Arjuna camp that I need something to do with my chapter three on the fable. I need to butter every part of my bread. So there's two Fable of the Mirror Breakers in this deck, and I think they just really wish they had something cooler to do. Yeah, like three Wandering Mind. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sweet. It's also three strangles hanging out. That's true. Yeah. They're running uh, one burn down the house, which is an interesting number, given it's an obnixless format. Four expressive iteration, two shards of skull, smashing three strangler, as uh, CGB outlined. And then for the instant suite, we have four big score, one disdainful stroke, one fading hope, one galvanic iteration, three joari disruption, two memory deluge, one negate. One Prismari Command, three Spikefield Hazard, three Voltage Surge. Kind of an interesting assortment of spells. One Celestis, and then of course, like you said, two Fables of the Mirror Breaker, 19 lands. Also, interestingly, playing two Dens of the Bugbear and one Hall of the Storm Giants, which seems like an aggressive slant. I feel like these decks usually tend to kind of wait to get their Hall as an alternate win con? Um, you don't win with Hall very often in these decks. I, I do find it's usually like the last thing that they turn to that is usually not going to turn out well because people have their cheap removal left over because it's not good against the rest of what they play. But let me ask you, like, how often do these Izzet decks spin up the Den of the Bugbear? Like, that just, I don't know, that stands out to me. Yeah, the Dens are kind of strange. I, I imagine somebody had an experience where Den did some work. Uh, maybe when you have a bunch of treasure, you just randomly end up getting in there sometimes. I'm surprised, too. I would probably run two halls, no dens, and slant, you know, more mountains. But so let's talk about this instant suite, because I find some of the choices here pretty interesting. So for starters, they're running, what, two counter spells main? Uh, in addition to the Jawari disruptions, we've got one disdainful stroke, one negate. That seems like kind of a meta-respecting split right there. It's a little bit curious to me. Maybe they're hoping to get rid of like um, some of the more expensive Planeswalkers or the odd Meat Hook Massacre, or I guess just having him up with Goldspan Dragon is still good, or to protect Hullbreaker Horror, some 
something like that. I guess so. Um, I mean, obviously, if they thought the counter spells were good, you'd run more of them because only two in a control style deck just tells you a lot of what you need to know about counter spells right now. They just aren't very effective in this meta, even with planeswalkers running around. But it's enough that you want to be able to do something to the opponent just landing haymaker after haymaker wandering emperor after loth after whatever uh, sometimes you, it can be a knockout blow to take out their big play what do you think about juan galvanic iteration that's a card that is we usually play more of if we're gonna play it right and what are we copying because that that's the thing that stands out to me and in this particular deck there's really there's four big scores so i think that that's why it's just a one of you know the only real thing that you want to copy there are four big scores that's kind of it fair enough yeah i mean just like definitely a clearly a very finely tuned spell suite in the deck so this person had a matter they were expecting and they built accordingly they have some ob tech in the sideboard oh they do so let's see we've got two more burn down the house uh, which is sweet and uh ooh, pithing needle all right there it is they're also playing three ledger shredder in the sideboard which let's talk about that card for a moment haven't seen it much in standard but it's been making waves in older formats yeah, um, the ability to connive whenever a player casts their second spell can add up really quickly, and in older formats, that's very powerful. Also very powerful in Commander, uh, especially Competitive Commander, as opposed to Battlecruiser Commander. But what matchup do you think the Ledger Shredder heads in for? It's a good question, actually. I mean, it's good against other spell slingers, so I actually feel like it might be good in the mirror. Especially if your opponent's like taking out their cheap removal because they're, you know, trying to focus on your heftier threats like Goldspan Dragon and Hullbreaker Horror. I mean, that's the matchup I would most want to play it in. I guess it might be okay against like a smaller aggro deck. Or maybe it's okay against Obnixilis. I mean, it's going to grow pretty quickly against that deck. Yeah, Anvil probably, like with their experimental synthesizers and. It seems like it would be pretty good against Anvil, now that you think about it. They don't block flyers basically ever, so it can pressure the orb as well. So yeah, maybe maybe that's pretty good. I mean, this is definitely a card I would keep an eye on. You know, I think we kind of poo-pooed it in our set review a little bit, but um, it's shaping up to be a card. And uh, by the end of the format, it might be one of those cards that is just, you know, it might be like the next expressive iteration, right? Where you just see it everywhere and... <laughs> okay that's coming in high on it but i'm just saying like that's like the ceiling for sure okay people are paying nine bucks a pop for these at the moment it's a rare no way this was like 62 cents last week that's what i'm saying this card is moving so uh anyway i don't know any other revelations that stand out to you about this particular list not this list no just quick like where do you see hallbreaker horror in this format that's a good question. I think about that a lot, actually. Probably more than is particularly healthy. It's this card that feels like it should be the top end, but the opponents are now just putting so much stuff onto the battlefield that it feels like I'm often in spots with Hullbreaker Horror where I can cast it, but I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, even when it resolves. Um, I think it would have been absolutely dominant in a slower format, but this format's really fast. Hullbreaker Horror, though, is going to be one of the cards that come september with rotation things might break in such a way that it's suddenly just this unbeatable thing again i could see that 
I mean, it's definitely one of the top-end cards in the format. There are not a lot of strategies that go over Hullbreaker Horror, so it can be surprisingly effective against like some of these mid-range lists as well, like if you're able to kind of get the board a little bit under control and then get one of them down. Basically, any slower deck, I think, should live in fear of the Hullbreaker. Um, all right, next deck in this dump is somewhat reminiscent of the other Esper deck we talked about. 11 Planeswalkers, 13 creatures. This one is running uh, one of Obscura Charm. We made it! <laughs> we made it, CGB. Well, yeah, it got uh, there. It, <laughs> it happened. But this is, you know, a lot of the same shenanigans we were talking about earlier. No basics. No basics. I, my, my basic check continues yep, to just yep. make me love Field of Ruin. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we'll go through every single list in this top eight, but I don't think we need to. There's nothing particularly jumping out about this uh, list other than a different cut of creatures. This one goes with four Rafines, four Underdogs, four Aspirants, one Legion, which is a cut that's more likely to be up my alley, to be honest. I, I like the hard commitments. I mean, I'm with you. I feel like usually when you look down a creature suite, there are certain creatures that are just better than the other ones, right? Anyway, like, yeah, quite an interesting lineup, all things considered. But I think you're right. Like, mid-range is here to stay. Control seems very weak at the moment. I don't know. I'm sure you've been trying some more control stuff. Like, I know that it's fun for you, but is any of it actually feeling competitive? Wait a minute. I would never build a deck that's not competitive. Ever. It's impossible. I've actually steered pretty far away from hard control strategies for about a week just because I, I do not see it as a very good place to be. I'll probably dive back in this week because, one, I can't stay away for long. Two, I know a lot of what I need to beat, so we can try to tune accordingly. But I do think that it'll, it'll be a lot closer to, like, tap-out control. I don't think countering things is very good right now. There's just so many ways to play around it. Like, what's a counterspell going to do against Tenacious Underdog or Ob? In both those places, you're in big trouble. If the opponent's playing Thalia or just playing creatures and they can beat you down, they can hold up their Wandering Emperor to flash in when you take your shields down for your counterspell. There's just so many ways to get abused right now for playing counter-heavy decks, whereas if you play cards that produce multiple pieces of cardboard or removal spells that create some kind of value while you play them. You're just doing a lot more with your mana. I've seen you in the meantime, CGB, just, uh, you know, playing mono green and, and whatnot and having fun. I did not love my mono green deck. I, I will be honest about that. It was a pivot I made because I still hate losing to white. And I like you talked about with me after I posted my version that I ended up on, it's like, Brutal Cathar, dude. <laughs> I think that your green deck is good against everything that isn't mono-white, which is a painful place to be when you queue up against mono-white so much in Diamond. Because, oh my gosh, they have to get to Mythic right now! Or their life ends. I don't know what, I don't know what inspires people to just keep playing the same whitelist, but they do. <laughs> they got this wonderful new card called the Wandering Emperor, and suddenly it was a whole new world of mono white. And uh, here we go, another. It's dude. They're going to be playing it until September, I promise, and maybe beyond. I was stoked to see you uh, trying out the the mono green ramp shenanigans. Titan of Industry, dude. I'm not done with that card. So I I think a lot of maybe what you're going to see are control decks that don't run blue but do get up to titan of industry you know like black green 
Maybe a little binding the old gods and get that mana going into Titan of Industry, huh? Yeah. Some people have thrown shade on Titan of Industry. Some illustrious people, such as uh, Michael J. Flores of the Top Level Podcast and uh, other various magic fame, uh, he's a hater on the Titan of Industry. And uh, I don't quite understand it myself. Me and the Titan go way back. But uh, yeah, not everyone seems to think that card is very good. Well, I mean, good is relative, right? Fair enough. Uh, And that's perhaps where we should leave this podcast for the day. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the format is a little bit more interesting than I expected it to be. And uh, I've, you know, definitely had some good fun playing it. I think parts of that is just because I have a deck archetype style iterations that i'm interested in testing so that always goes a long way for me otherwise i think the format would probably just be like a tear jerking mid-range soup that i wouldn't really want to wade through there's there's a lot going on and i feel like it could go a lot of places from here which feels cool well it has all the way till september to work itself out so get used to mid-range soup for a little while and hopefully at least everybody out there can find a deck that fits their play style even though that feels a little forced towards the middle right now indeed and remember if all else fails just eat wheaties all right that's gonna do it thanks sorry did we want to like tell them like you said in this podcast we're supposed to mention the thing Yes, yes, thank you for reminding me. All right. So uh, before we go out here, I have to make an announcement, which I think a lot of people are not going to be that happy to hear. Uh, Some members of CGB's channel are going to be stoked to hear it because they've never liked me. And so uh, (laughs) good, (laughs) good, good riddance to all you haters. You know what? I'm not going to beat around the bush. CGB and I have decided to put the podcast on hiatus indefinitely. This is a conversation that, you know, we we kind of spent a while coming to it. And um, there's a lot of reasons behind it, all of which I'm not going to go into right now. Basically, there's a lot of stuff that's come up in my life and there's a lot of stuff that's come up in CGB's life. And uh, we're basically both getting pulled in other directions at the moment. <laughs> and so... You know, we just like made the decision to to take a break and it could be a permanent break. I don't, you know, I don't want to keep like the hardcore crafties waiting with hands clasped every Tuesday for the next golden podcast to drop. Probably not going to happen. But, you know, it's more like we're leaving the door open in the future in case, you know, things change or CGB and I get like a wild hair or just something else exciting happens in magic that we feel like the two of us could really collaborate on but for the time being we are going to spin down the podcast so yeah i don't know cgb did you want to add anything to that just that we're going to be doing a final like farewell episode next week where we're just the final arjuna awards is what i i pitched it as is that we're just going to talk about some of the finer moments of the podcast or magic in general maybe tell some stories and try to leave something nice for the crafty nation who have been supporting us for quite a while i'll have more to say for that show and uh don't want to overdwell on it here at the end of this show i'm sure it will 
disappoint some people, but I think it's the right move uh, for both of us. Put this one on the sidelines and come back to it when, if, when it really makes sense. Yeah, that's well put. I'll say more about it on the next show as well. We just, we didn't want to spring it on you. We wanted to give kind of a buffer so that people could get used to the idea. You know, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our patrons. I'll be, you know, pausing the Patreon. So that'll be a thing that'll happen. Wanted to thank all of our crafties who've been with us since the beginning. And, you know, all of the other crafties who jumped on when CGB and I linked up together. It's been a long time, man. It's been over two years. I'm really proud of what we've accomplished together. It's not without some regret. I'll say that. Hard decision to make. But I think CGB and I are both creative people. And one thing that's really true of creative people is that they're often restless with their ideas. And I've had a lot of new ideas coming to me and CGB has a lot of opportunities to follow up on as well. So there'll be no shortage of both of us doing epic, epic things. It just won't be the Arena Craft Podcast. So uh, thank you to everybody who stuck with us, like Arjuna said. And uh, we're going to have a lot more to say next week. Try to send you out uh, on an absolute banger. So uh, Arjuna, take it away on that outro, baby. <laughs> you know, CGB already laid the outro on us in the beginning of this show. But, uh, you know, you know where to find us. We're the Arena Craft Podcast. So just sign off for this penultimate show. I will say, each Oetis, be courageous, be ever undaunted, and CGB, later crafties. <laughs>